Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project. And I know I'm repeating myself from the intro, but I keep forgetting there's an intro, so that's why I keep doing it. I'm Jen Amos, your co-host, and of course, with me once again is my amazing co-host in the Bay Area, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> yes, we are representing the coasts today. East Coast is Jen. I mean, I'm a former Cali girl, so it's like oh yeah, it's you not know, morning I'm like for you anymore, huh? It's like afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one o'clock here at the time of this recording. No, that's okay. That's okay. You know, all my family's still in California. So I still very much have that. Like, I, I always know what time it is there. Like yeah. I just automatically know. And like, I can say like, Oh, let's do it at this time. And then if people like, it's rare that people are like, wait, do you mean Eastern or Pacific? Like, and no one ever asked me that question. So I just like talk in their Pacific time zone kind of thing. Yeah, but anyway, we are re- assume oh. that people are listening to the podcast in the morning. I don't know why I assume that. <laughs> Well, you know, our show comes out at night, usually. Friday. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong. I'm told, you're right. Yeah. Our episode typically comes out Fridays at like 3 a.m. Pacific time, 6 a.m. Eastern time. So yeah. I think that's why you assume that people listen in the morning because that's when we release our episodes. I guess so. I just forget that people can listen whenever they want to. I'm just like, yeah, I'm a morning podcast person. So I guess it's just me. Yeah. I'm more of like a night owl kind of podcaster just because like, it's like finally at the end of the day and like, I have time to like, listen to things I want to listen to. Anyway, that's aside the point, Nani, let's go ahead and bring on (laughs) our incredible guest today. I'm really excited to have her on because I feel like she's already part of the family. Like she was referred to us through Nicole Mashali. So shout out to Nicole. She's incredible. I still like to go back to her episode and just think like I'm talking to history here because her family has been in the Bay Area making history for decades now. But anyway, this is not about Nicole. This is about RDs. Let me go ahead and bring her on. We have RDs Rabang, who is a co-founder of Monmana Studios, head of production of Phoenix Studios and Minio, and producer and chief production officer of Zen Moose Capital. RDs, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's a quite an honor to have you. Let's start off. I know I already mentioned that you were referred by Nicole Mashali, but what made you say, yes, I want to be on the show. I want to share my story. Well, first of all, when Nicole says anything, I'm always <laughs> down. But I listen to your podcast and I just I, it's important. It's important for Filipinos to share their stories because we've been we're not in the U.S. history books. Yeah. There is not one place you can find all our stories, which I hope to change someday. So, yeah. And then, yeah, we've contributed so much to the United States and America and the world that I think it's really important that we share our stories with everyone. Yes, we deserve to be recognized for it. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. And part of why we do the show or part of how it came to be was I just realized it was possible. Like when Facebook Live started to become a thing, I just thought, you know, if I can just kind of look beyond myself and focus on whatever message is coming out of my mouth, and if that resonates with people, I'm going to keep focusing on that. I think very often when we put ourselves out there, we're thinking more about ourselves than we are of the people we help. And so that's sort of like where I came from. And then being able to, I guess, revamp this into a podcast show, just knowing the impact of hearing someone that sounds like you, that shares a similar background, it had become a big responsibility for Nani and I, as we started to have more feedback from our listeners and more people wanting to be on the show to keep this going. So thank you for being a part of that, you know, being a part of showing up because we can and we should. So we will. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, RDs, this show is called the Filipino American Woman Project. The original reason why I did it. And I keep saying like original because we are nearing our 100th episode. And I think it's always good to talk about the history of a show. So people like know why it came about. But I called it the Filipino American Women Project almost four years ago now. Wow. Because I wanted to connect with women like me who were American women of Filipino descent. However, that has expanded with every conversation we've had on the show. So RDs, let us know. Tell us a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Well, I was actually born in the Philippines. I was mm. born on um, the naval base on Pacific Bay, right? So my dad was in the U.S. Navy and yeah, I was born on the base. He was stationed at Treasure Island before I was one. So when I turned one, my mom and I moved to the Bay Area and we've been here ever since. (laughs) It was interesting too, because my mom told me later on, because I had to get clearance when I was working at Cape Canaveral. Mm -hmm. I called my mom and I said, hey, do you have my naturalization papers? And my mom's super organized. And she goes, yes, I do. And she mm-hmm. goes, actually, did you know your father could have filled out a form and you would have been a U.S. citizen right away because I was born on the base? But he never told my mom. So I actually got, uh, you know, became a citizen when she became a citizen. Wow. Yeah. So did he so, not want you to be a citizen or was that? Just, well, I think he just. That's just mine. He's not very organized. So. <laughs> He was just like, oh, I probably should have should have done that. Yeah, he probably didn't know, didn't turn the form in the right time. If he had told my mom, I think she would have done it. So I always tease him that he's the reason why I can't run for president. <laughs> You're like, like thanks, dad. <laughs> Not that I'd want that job. <laughs> no. But I did. Yes. <laughs> your fault. Yeah. That's our excuse as to why we can't run for president because you didn't do the paperwork ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, that's amazing because I know that and, you know, help me brush up on my history here. I know that my dad happened to join the military in the 80s, right before Philippines became an independent you know, country. And then, you know, Subic mm-hmm. Bay had shut down. So it must be kind of interesting to know that like you kind of slid in, I guess, like you kind of like made it before the Philippines became an independent country. Well, I was born in the 70s. So, you know, I came in that wave where a lot of Filipinos were coming in. Yeah. We were under, you know, U.S. occupation. Right. And they were trying to get more Filipinos to come to the U.S., you know. So that's why he actually joined the Navy was to have a better life. Yeah. And have a better life for his family. So mm-hmm. we were actually the first in our family, first among our family to really come here and move here. And we brought over the rest of our family. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, when I follow my family records, I remember when my dad joined the military, we were one of the first places that I have documented where I was at was like Oakland, California, and basically like the Bay Area. It is quite fascinating. And even with our listenership, the majority of our listeners are, (laughs) you know, in California. So it must feel like home, you know, to kind of be there since you were fairly young. And here you are still today living there. That's one thing I noticed about like families who moved to California is they, um, for lack of a better term, like kind of stay there. That's like always home for them. And even for me being here on the East Coast, you know, I still think in a way that San Diego is home for me because that's where my mom is. I'm just thinking out loud about that. I don't know if any of you guys had any thoughts about that and kind of California being that home base for a lot of us. Well, for me and my family, the Bay Area, since most of my family is here, it's Mm -hmm. hard for me to move away. Like I've lived abroad, but it's the Bay Area is always home. I grew up in South San Francisco, right next to Daly City, which most of you guys know mm-hmm. is like filled with Filipinos. Filipinos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I grew up around Filipinos and it's strange not like when you go to other places and you don't see that kind of community. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually, it's changed a lot here too, because my nieces, they're in high school and they actually don't have that many Filipino friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm noticing that they live in San Mateo, but they go to school more further down, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's strange to me and my cousins because we just grew up around it. Yeah, Yeah, just very interesting to see. I mean, Nani, you can speak more on that since you were basically born and raised (laughs) um, in Oakland. Born and raised in Oakland, so I'm also a fellow Baydestrian over here. (laughs) And I've also tried to move away, you know, down to SoCal, not too far, but just down to SoCal. And even so, I was up here every other weekend, you know, for my family or just something that was going on in the family. There's just too much of a, too many of us here to really escape it. So, you know, on top of that, I think it's also just the best place to live in general in terms of like the diversity, the weather, the food. It's just, it's hard to beat. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't disagree at all being out here. And I say out here often. I keep telling myself like, you know, the beginning of the it year, like you're on like a far, isolated <laughs> island. Know, like, like some like isolated, like island of sorts. No, it's I, when I say out here, which I know I need to actively work on my language because I want the East coast to be home. Like I've lived here for three years now and I can't keep thinking of home, which is for me, San Diego, because I will never feel rooted here. You know, this is coming from having lived a transient life and being afraid to really physically be somewhere. And so for me to declare that it's like, oh, like part of why I can't like just inherently like where I can't like condition myself to live here is because I keep using language like back home or out here, you know. And so that's just something that I'm actively intentionally like constantly working on. But if you hear me say back home, I am referring to San Diego. And if I say out here, (laughs) I'm referring to Virginia Beach right now. But I like to say that Virginia Beach is like San Diego, just with the four seasons and people here are really nice. So I I do want to say that. And I feel like there's what they call Southern hospitality, where people like actually give you eye contact and like have a conversation with you like they're your best friend. And so I really like just kind of um, how easy it is to talk to people. But still, you know, it's like home is home, right? It's like I think home is where your family is. And right now, the majority of my family is in SoCal. So in talking to both of you, like both of you even being in the Bay Area, it's, it's getting me kind of 
reflective of like, you know, where my family comes from. And yeah, I kind of did spend 20 years <laughs> in California. So there's that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ardiz, thank you for just sharing a little bit about your background. Let's fast forward to life today. Obviously, so much has changed. And I know just with your work, I imagine that so much has shifted for you. So tell us a little bit about what life looks like for you right now. Well, let me go back a little, just so you guys know. I've been in the entertainment industry for over... 23 years. I started in June 1996. It was not my goal. You know, I went to UC Berkeley. I studied political economy of industrial societies, which was a very unique major to Cal. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how do you simplify that? that? If someone asks you, like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, at, at the time, I was actually, you can it's one of those you can make your major at whatever it is. Mm. And my interest was looking at Asia and seeing it grow and emerge. So back then I was actually arguing which countries I thought were going to do well mm. and, you know, globally. So this is even before like Japan, Singapore, Thailand and China and Taiwan got really and Korea. Right. Yeah. We were already looking at politically and how they were going to do and economically how they were going to become yeah. these big juggernauts in business, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. But I was kind of all over the place because, you know, growing up Filipino, your parents pretty much go, you could be a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or, or a business person. Right. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I, I don't like blood, so I can't be a doctor. <laughs> so I thought about law, right? I also took a lot of public health courses and my professors at Cal thought I should go into that. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I was thinking maybe I would either go into public health or into law, right? Mm -hmm. And at the time when I was graduating, it was when everyone was being recruited by the big six for consulting jobs. Mm. I actually made it to one of them, the final interview, like they put you through the ringer. Uh, um, and I sat during the final interview going, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to wear a suit every day. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it just wasn't me. Right. Why am I even here? Why am I even here? So what happened was my cousin and I went to Cal together. I actually went to, went to Cal with a few of my cousins and best friends. And we got really active in the Filipino community. That's really where I learned what it meant to be Filipino. Like, because mm -hmm. you don't learn that in grade school and high school, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so, you know, we were super active in all the clubs. And our senior year, one of our clubs was turning, then, you know, it had their 10-year anniversary. And that was PASS, the Filipino American mm -hmm. Academic Student Services mm -hmm. Group. And so we had a banquet my cousin happened to run into one of our friends who was a senior when we were freshmen and mentioned to him that I was looking for work. And that's June Cruzette, one of my mentors. Um, so, you know, after graduation, we went to Florida and the Bahamas to celebrate. <laughs> I get back to Berkeley and check my answering machine. This is before cell phones. And June leaves a message and says, hey, um, give me a call. So I mm -hmm. called June. I was like, are you looking for me? And he said, yeah, there's a job here at Lucasfilm. I think you would be great for. Do you want to come in? You know, at this point, I'm tired of my family asking me what I'm going to do after college. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I forgot to ask him what the job was for. I just was like, <laughs> yes, so he, whatever so he, gets me he, out of here. Yes. 
So, and you know, I lived in a Bay Area my whole life, but I'd never been to Marin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't cross, uh, we don't cross the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. Same, yeah. Right? So then exploring that area like yeah. two years ago. <laughs> and you're just like, what? what? There's a whole other world here in Marin. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's like, come in the next day. I ended up interviewing for three hours straight. Had no idea that that was how my day was going to be. We were in the middle of a heat wave. I'm wearing a black power suit. (laughs) Everyone at Skywalker Ranch was wearing like jeans and a t-shirt, super casual. You're like, like, oh, I'm going to like this place. (laughs) And so my final interview was with the production controller, who was this British woman, Mm -hmm. Catherine Farah. And it was, it turns out I was interviewing for being her assistant and it was more of an accounting or assistant production controller position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't a business major. I didn't take accounting. And she was like, well, if you can add, subtract, I can teach you the rest. She liked the fact that I graduated from Cal. She loved the fact that I was Filipino because her boyfriend, now husband, was Filipino and he had graduated from Cal. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. there familiarity yeah right Mm -hmm. so she called me the next day and said if you want the job it's yours can you start Monday and I was like this is two weeks after graduation I'm like "Uh, can I start Tuesday (laughs) yeah and she's like that's fine you know (laughs) and I really thought I was only gonna work there for a year like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna study I'm gonna work for a year then I'll study for the LSAT and I'll go to law school Also, in my mind, I had never thought of going in into entertainment because I knew no one who looked like me, you know. Right, right. So my first day, HR is giving me the rundown. They're telling me what we can and cannot do because just to give you a picture, Skywalker Ranch is 2,600 acres. It's not your typical campus. It's like these beautiful mansions all over, right? Man, man. Uh Yeah. So they were saying, oh, if you see George Lucas, you know, everyone just kind of leaves him alone and, you know, like just ignore him, you know. And they were telling me about the main house, which is the main building. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, everyone is restricted to the main floor, you know, second floors where George's office is and where production is. And so it's off limits and like the art department is on the third floor and post-production is in the basement. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were giving me all the rules and then they called over to Catherine and said, Hey, we're done with our D's. Where do you want us to send her? And they said, and she said, send her to the main house to the second floor. And so they turned to me and they were like, okay, scratch everything we just said. <laughs> Cause I got to be in production, which I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't <laughs> even know at the time that it was the hardest department to get into. Oh, Everyone yeah. was trying, dying to get into it. Yeah. Wow. And I learned that our main boss was Rick McCallum, who is George's only producer, head of production at the time. Oh my goodness. And so like my first day, and production was small. It was him. He had two assistants. It was Catherine. It was me. And we were having lunch on the balcony in the main house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember telling my, my cousin's um, now husband, but it was a boyfriend back then, is a huge Star Wars fan. Shout out to Carlos. And so <laughs> Carlos was like, hey, Dees, how is it? And I was like, oh, yeah, my boss is Rick McCallum. And he was like, oh, my God, do you know who that is? And I'm like, he's the producer, but I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) The guy. (laughs) 
Oh my God. You, you don't know it. how many tours of my guy friends were like, can we come and visit you at work? Yeah. 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 Hey, RDs, my best friend. Uh, <laughs> Want to grab lunch at your work? Me? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> And I didn't go through the normal orientation because production didn't believe that because we were so busy. Yeah. So what I learned about Skywalker Ranch, I've learned over time. And apparently I've been told I give the best tours because I would have to give tours for production and sometimes for George's guests. Yeah. Yeah. And just people would just open their doors and show me around. So I kind of got to know the whole campus. So, but uh, I worked with Catherine for two years as a production controller assistant. She, she never had an assistant. So it was literally like creating my job, right? Wow. Every system for her, I, she, she didn't even have files when I got there. Like every paper, piles and piles of paper were like thrown behind her. Oh my goodness. You know? And then I, you know, I'd have to interface with Rick because I learned how to do the payroll, payables, receivables Mm -hmm. for everything. I even helped set up the London office for episode one for Star Wars. So my first project when I got there was we were releasing the Star Wars special edition. Yeah. Wow. And I hadn't actually ever seen it in the theater. Like I've only seen it on like VHS. I'm just like, if you hear me chuckling a lot, it's because like, I just love how you like stumbled into all these things or people are like, wait, what? Like, can I be a part of that? Like, can you squeeze yeah. me in there? Like, I just, I love it. You're just like, oh, this happened and that happened and turns out to be like a big deal. Like I'm, I'm loving all of it. I'm just absorbing your story right now. Well, well the funny thing about it is when I was in high school, I went to an all girls Catholic school. Mm-hmm. I went to Catholic school for 12 years, actually. Mm -hmm. I went to Mercy High School in Burlingame. And my freshman year, my cousin, Abby, who she's the one who helped me get the job, basically. She told June about me looking for work. She said, hey, I got a free screening pass for Major League Mm -hmm. at Kabuki. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we go to the Kabuki. We're expecting to watch Major League. We're looking for our seats. And I elbow her. And she's like, what? I go, isn't that George Lucas over there? And she was like, shut up. No, just grab a seat. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're sitting in the Kabuki and somebody comes up. He gives this whole spiel about how something happened. One of the reels rolled off the truck and into the off the Golden Gate Bridge into the bay. And so they had. They had another movie for us. It wasn't completely done, but they were hoping that we could, you know, give our feedback. The only thing was it wasn't color corrected. Mm -hmm. Finaled, right? Turned out to be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So then I elbowed her and I was like, see, that is George Lucas. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Not knowing that years later I would be working for George, right? Crazy. So my first week, the way they positioned my desk is I saw everyone who came up the main house stairs. Yeah. And even his assistant said, Ardiz, you're our first line of defense. If you see someone who shouldn't be here, you need to call security. And I was like, okay. So I would see George come up the stairs every time to go to his office. Yeah. And I think one time I went to go get the mail. He was coming from Rick's office and he said, hi. And I was like, well, they just told me to ignore him, but I can't. He just said, you're hi. Like, it's like, you're acknowledging me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was pretty funny. So you can imagine I'm 22 years old, mm-hmm. know nothing about the entertainment industry. And here I am like thrown into production, working on the same floor as George Lucas. We're in the middle of a heat wave. I don't know if I should tell this story, but I will. <laughs> so his longtime assistant, Jane Bay, lovely woman, but she was, people were scared of her, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm at the copier because I had asked HR, can we wear shorts? And they said, yeah, you know, as long as they're not too short. Because mm-hmm. it was hot. It was like 100 degrees. So one day I came in and I was wearing long shorts. Like they're barely above my knees, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, Ardiz, I know you're new here, but, you know, you can't wear shorts in the main house. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was told I could. And so I go back into my, I was sharing in the office with Catherine and, I, and then Rick's assistants come in, both wearing shorts, right? And I was like, hey, did you know we can't wear shorts? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? And I go, Jean just told me I couldn't wear shorts. And they all looked at me, it was like three white women, right? And they were like, oh, you can't wear shorts. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. And so I ended up mm. coming to work the next day wearing a dress that was shorter than my shorts and she couldn't say anything. <laughs> you said not to wear shorts, but. I'm wearing a summer dress. So you there you go. <laughs> yes. Mm. Mm. Love it. Yeah. So it's wow. just like back then. Do you ever like look back at that RDs and you're like, man, I was a part of all that, you know, just kind of the star Wars franchise as a whole. It must be like, you ever just feel awestruck after the fact, like, man, like I was a part of that. Yeah. I, I mean, I was lucky because so yeah. two years into it, Rick's two assistants ended up leaving for their own reasons. Right. Mm. And so when his last assistant was leaving, because she wanted to be more of an assistant director, Beyonce more, mm-hmm. she called me into her office and said, hey, I'm leaving. And Rick really wants you to move over to his office. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, OK. So then my first boss, Catherine, called me into her office and said, Janet's leaving. Um, Rick really thinks you can do the job. Why don't you give it a try? If you like it, you can move to his office. And if not, you can still do what you're doing with me. Because by this time I was in a groove. I was learning how to run cost reports. I was you yeah. know, tracking all the costs for Star Wars, you know, and all of George's projects. It wasn't just Star Wars. We were doing all kinds of George's projects at the time. Yeah. And so then I tried it. I was like in between desks. I was, I was running back and forth between my new one and my old one. And after a week, Rick was like, so honey, that's how he talks. So honey, do you like it? And I said, yes. And he's like, okay, this is your new job. This is what you make now. And so I moved over and it's been, and actually one of the things Catherine told me was he told her that he didn't think he could ever yell at me because he was notorious for yelling. Like his other assistants used to run into our office and hide when he was in a mood. And so even the head of HR, the the assistant to the president of the company at the time, when they all heard I was going to move over to Rick's office, they all pulled me inside. Like, are you going to be okay? And I'm like, oh, you're like, get ready. (laughs) He's he's, he's always been fine with me. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, hey, can I talk to you? And he said, sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm new to you. Like, you need to tell me what you need. You know, I can't read your mind yet. 
but you know, I'm sure I'll get to that preferences. I'm sure I'll get there. Right. And he was like, Oh, honey, don't worry. I'm super easy. And he was because he was totally hands off. That's what the, that's the thing I love about him. He let me do things my way. Right. Like, he would say this needs to be done, but he didn't care how I did it. He just yeah. gave me leeway to do it. And I can honestly say in over 16 years with him, he did not yell at me once. That's how good our relationship was. Because a lot of people tell me I made his life and his job so much easier. Yeah. You know, we're family now. Right. And yeah. early on, he asked me too. Because, you know, be, you know, you're Filipino, you're kind of quiet and shy, right? You just mm-hmm. do your work, right? But I started to get more bold as I started working with him. So he I mean, if you're there for like, you said 16 years, right? Yeah. Like you, yeah, you, you eventually, get you get comfortable. Yeah. yeah, you get comfortable. <laughs> and he had asked me like, what do you want to do? And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I actually want to do what you do. And he's like, okay, great. I'm going to teach you everything I know. You're going to be in every meeting. Wow. You're going to, you know. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was like, I was his right hand. Like mm-hmm. nothing happened in our office without me knowing. A lot of times I took care of so much, th- so many things. You know, when you're an executive assistant or my title is, you know, assistant to the producer, you have your hands in everything, especially yeah. at Lucasfilm, because truly then we were independent. I did everything in our office, you know, so and there was only at any point, there was only four of us in production. Wow. realize that, right? Mm-hmm. In the U.S., there was only about three or four of us at any given time. So mm-hmm. everything ran through our office. Like I helped set up our office in Australia. I had to liaise with our office in London, you know. So it was really cool. Like I learned so much about production. And what I love about production is no day is ever the same, right? Like, yeah. sorry, mom, like I didn't end up being a lawyer. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it actually took my parents over 10 years before they even came to visit me at the ranch. And when oh they gosh. came, they were like, oh, you're never leaving this, are you? <laughs> uh, you know, like if I want to, I should, you know, I always told people I will leave when I'm no longer happy. Mm. Right? Like that's my barometer. It's not about the money. It's whether I'm happy in the job. Absolutely. Right? And God, I had so much fun working on episodes one, two, and three. I got to go to London. I got to go to Australia several times. Yeah. You know, Rick was like a a real father figure mentor to me. Um, Yeah. So I learned a lot. Yeah. And I had that rare job where I'm with a project from the very beginning while George is writing or while the writers are writing Mm -hmm. all the way through till the end like, you know, with marketing, publicity, distribution and everything. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I worked on, you know, actually have cameos. I've been in episode two. I was in that. They needed Jedi who could do martial arts. And I was like, well, my friends and I do Eskrima. And I was married at the time. So my husband taught Eskrima. And mm-hmm. so they used us in the background in the arena scene. With the oh, Jedi fights. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. Now we have to rewatch that. <laughs> like find you in the background. But yeah, it was fun. I, you know, I got to work with an amazing group of people. You know, there was stuff I had to do for George. I did a lot of stuff for Rick. Um, I handled a lot of things for the cast. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I was just thinking about my own experience. I've been an assistant, basically executive assistant in many different fields for many different people for over 10 years now. So I can relate to that kind of, you know, assistant lifestyle and the working relationship that you have with your boss is so, so important because essentially it's just you guys, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've always been adamant about staying where I'm at, because I figure if I do decide I want to try my hand in a different field or a different industry or learn how to do a specific job, it's a great way to get your foot in the door and a great way to learn, you know? So I think it's so cool that you just happen to land this opportunity as your first job and get to like dive right in, in such a cool space and be such a part of such a cool project like Star Wars. That's like legendary, you know? So like what an amazing opportunity. And I mean, I'm just at the edge of my seat waiting to hear the rest of your story and what you've done with that, that experience since then. Definitely. So after episode three, we didn't know what George was going to do. We were like, do we have a job? You know, right? Because right? right? in the grand right? in the grand scheme of things, like the entertainment industry is very project based, right? Yes, it's like, right. yeah, you can make like a ton of money, but when it, when a show is over, when a franchise is over, it's over. Then what? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then George came to us and said he wanted to do Star Wars live action series mm-hmm. and Red Tails. I actually think doing those two at the same time was harder than just doing the films, mm. right? Just because you're you're switching back and forth between a movie and a TV series, right? And this is before the streaming services were creating their own content. So Mm -hmm. once we announced we were doing a live action series, we were getting calls from Amazon, from Netflix, from HBO. They really wanted it, right? Mm -hmm. And but I was in the inner circle. So I actually knew about five or six years before George was gonna retire that he was gonna retire, right? So Rick had come to me and we had a meeting and he goes, well, you know, honey, I think, you know, George is going to retire soon. So what do you want to do? And I was like, hmm. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I guess I'm going to retire. And I was like, bullshit. (laughs) I could talk to him like that, right? I was like, he was like, what do you mean? And I go, you will be bored out of your fucking mind. (laughs) And he was like, okay, so what are you thinking? And I said, I think we should start a company, right? Love it. And he was like, what are you thinking? And I was like, well, you and I have always talked about how the movie industry in the U.S. is like crazy. Like the amount of money spent is insane. Just to even try to get your movie seen and done, right? And we were looking, mind you, this is like 2009, 2008, Mm -hmm. 2009. We were looking at Asia or Europe, right? We were like... Mm -hmm. How about if we did movies there first? Because you know, if it hits big there, the U.S. will follow. And it's cheaper to do films there. Mm -hmm. So we had this whole plan of like, you know, once we were done with Lucasfilm, that that was what we were going to do. Well, the stock market crashed. No one was investing in film. We went pretty hard at it for a while. Like we had people interested because like, how could you turn down me and him? And we also had added two executives from different studios at the time. Right. Yeah. So then everyone said, okay, let's just go our own separate ways. Maybe we'll come back to it. Who knows? Right. Mm -hmm. We did red tails together with George. Um, That was a really fun movie for us because it was a different from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It was about the Tuskegee Airmen. 
and we were kind of doing bootstrap. You know, George funded the whole thing. Oh, wow. We actually tried to, you know, bring on Fox early for marketing and publicity. And we even gave him a Bible. We took Obama's first, you know, successful presidential election campaign. And we mapped that onto how we wanted to market Red Tails, right? Mm -hmm. Like go into the churches, go to the picnics, you know, like really have it be grassroots. And we gave a binder that was like six inches big to Fox. And Rick and George were in a room with like 20, 40, oh, actually about 40 execs. And they said, you know, it sounds great, but we don't know how to market it. Yeah. And, and Rick was like, oh, so you're telling me all of you guys don't know how to market to the black community. That's basically it. So George actually had to pay for the PR and marketing as well. Wow. So that was the first time our Lucas film departments had to actually do a whole film, like from beginning to end, yeah. you know, they always had help from Fox for star Wars and so easy to market star Wars. You know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> <Right>? too easy. <laughs> um, so that was such a fun project for us. And, you know, we ended up premiering and George doesn't do premieres, right. Mm -hmm. We ended up premiering in New York. I was out there. It was a really fun time. And after that, I already, I knew Rick was going to move back, was going to move to Prague because mm -hmm. his wife and his daughter, well, his wife's from Prague and they had a, a young girl and they wanted her to go to school in Prague. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and also we just, you know, with George leaving, we didn't have the protection of George because, you know, his mandate to the rest of the company was that they were to leave production alone, mm -hmm. you know? And we kind of had this kind of struggle between corporate and production, right? Mm -hmm. And so the writing was on the wall. If we didn't have George's protection, people in corporate that were trying to take control, we knew were going to get rid of us. Yeah. Because they couldn't control us, right? Right. Wow. So crazy. So, so this was in 2012. And I was like, okay, great. I've not done a resume since 1996. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm like asking my friends, can you help me? I don't know how to do a resume. And like, and you know, I was close friends with George's new assistant because mm -hmm. his had retired. And I was like, Connie, can you help me? She used to be Robert Redford's assistant too. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I had other people in the industry, like, you know, I didn't even know how to describe what I did because I did everything, right? Yeah. How do you, like, how do you put all that on paper? Yeah. I'm like, can I yeah. just say I'm the master of his universe? <laughs> That's a yes. good job. Right? <laughs> Call him. He'll tell you. <laughs> and he'll say it too. Yeah. Or like um, we would joke around that we were full-time multitasking ninjas because that's pretty much what we did. Yeah. So what happened was Rick calls me from Prague that summer and he's like, honey, you won't believe who called me. And I was like, who? And he's like, George. And I'm like, George? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, he wants to know if you want to move over to the chairman's office, his office. And I was like, oh. And he's like, I know it's not protection, which I know you love. Mm -hmm. It's more admin. But hey, you won't have to leave the bay. You know, you get your benefits, the whole Thing, right you still get to stay at Skywalker and I was like oh okay he was like just think about it well 
at the same time, he didn't know a friend of mine who really looked out for me at the ranch. He was in our IT, Paul Matley. He's dearly departed, though. Mm. He died a few years ago. But Paul was looking out for me and said, hey, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, Brad Bird is looking for somebody. Um, are you interested? And I said, sure. Throw my name in that, you know? Okay. So when I got that call, I had to call my friend Paul. I was like, hey, is, does Brad still need somebody? Because now I have to tell George if I'm going to move over to his office. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hold on, let me get back to you. So then he calls Brad. Brad calls me because he was riding at Skywalker at the time. He was riding Tomorrowland, which we didn't know was Tomorrowland. You know? mm-hmm. And Brad called me and said, are you free to have lunch with me tomorrow? And I'm like, sure. So we had lunch in our main house dining room. It was me, him and his wife. We were just talking. It's like, I thought it was like a super casual lunch. And then at the end they said, okay, so what's your rate? And I was like, oh, you're like, whoa, <laughs> love it. I just went for it. I just doubled what I was making. Cause you know, we weren't making much when we were at Lucasfilm, let me tell you. So I just went for it and I said, okay, this is my rate. And they're like, okay, great. We're going to have the producer call you and we'll, you know, we'll get back. And I was like, okay. So then wow. the producer from Disney calls me and said, oh, I heard you want to join the team. And I was like, okay, this is a weird way to start a conversation. But I was like, okay. And he's like, I was talking to Brad and he told me your rate. And I just wanted to hear it from you. So I told him and he goes, oh, that's really high. And I said, well, I'm not your typical assistant. I'm going to save you time and money. Good. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. why should I leave my job that I've had for all this time with my full benefits and everything unless you're going to pay me that? And he was like, oh, okay, sure. he was like, okay, I'm going to have to get that approved by the studio heads. Right. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to Hawaii. It was my first time having vacation in years. Oh, um, man. Yeah. So here's my cell phone if you need me. And then as I was about to leave that night, George's office called me and said, Hey, can you stop by? And I was like, okay. So I stopped by and I was talking to, cause Jane was training Connie you know, and so they were like, hey, we heard from George. We're so excited. And I, I was like, okay, what did you hear? <laughs> and, like, um, Don't get too excited. <laughs> yeah. So they were like, okay, no, what were you told? And I told them how Rick told me and that I was, he told me to think about it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. Cause he just assumed that you were doing it. <laughs> Mm. they had just assumed I was going to move over. And I was like, Oh no, I need to think about this. And they're like, yeah. Oh, that's fine. You know, and just kind of telling me how different it would be working with George versus working with Rick, mm-hmm. which I've known because I've seen how the different offices run. Right. <laughs> with production, because you had me there and I'm Filipino. It was like a family, mm-hmm. you know, we were always like telling each other how much we loved each other, how much we appreciated each other. We would hug each other. Like that's what we do as Filipinos. So I'm like, you know, like that's my like zone. Right. Yeah. And even a lot of people told me that they love how it felt like a family. Right. That Mm -hmm. I brought that. Whereas, you know, it's a little bit more different. It's more corporate. It's more formal, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. So anyway, I went on vacation. I came back. 
I still hadn't gotten word from Disney. I'm trying to stall, <laughs> right? Because they're all expecting me to give them an answer. I'm calling Rick, like freaking out. Like I haven't heard yet. He's like, just tell him you're, I'm, I'm throwing so much work at you. You're too busy. And I finally told Connie, I'm like, hey, can we meet? And she's like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And she was excited because I have something to tell you too. I'm like, okay, you first. She's like, oh, George is talking about doing more production in a few, in, you know, after, in a few years. So when you come over, you could probably move into that. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, but I need your help. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because I'm trying to negotiate this thing with Brad Bird and Disney. And she's like, oh, don't say a word. Like, I got it. You know, she used to be Robert Redford's assistant. So she got it. Like, she's like, don't worry, I'll stall for you. And then I got the call saying, that they approved my rate and that wow. you'd be on a five-day week. And I said, excuse me? Because <laughs> usually you're on a six-day week, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so if I work weekends, you're like, you get overtime. I'm like, okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I told Rick and he was super happy for me. And, but then I had to tell George's office. And then they told me I had to tell George. I was like, <laughs> Gotta <what?"> break his heart. <laughs> Gotta rip his heart out. <laughs> oh, it was so... Anyway, we... It turned out fine. And, and I ended up having to have a like 15-minute meeting with him. Well, actually, it felt like longer. Maybe it was half an hour. And it was just me being really thankful to him and grateful. Because I know, like, without Rick and George, I would not be here. I would not have thought it was even a possibility. Yeah. To be in production, I wouldn't have thought I'd be good at it. And I turned out to be really good at it. Mm-hmm. And so, and he had told me he wanted to make sure that, because I didn't know he was going to sell to Disney, right? He was trying to protect the team. That's mm-hmm. why he wanted me to move over, right? Wow. Um, and so he was just saying, oh, I was just looking out for a team, trying to keep us together. But he said, no, I'm really excited for you to work with Brad because it's different working with a director, and I'm like, you know, so, and I said, Hey, I'm still here. We're, we're working out of Skywalker. So if you need anything, I'm just a phone call away. Right. Yeah. And at the end, I'm like, can I hug you? And he's like, sure. <laughs> I'm Bring such a hugger. Yeah. So I, I called Rick and I'm like, Oh, he was like, how was it? How do you take it? And I go, well, he let me hug him after. And he kind of hugged me back. And he was like, Oh honey, he's fine. <laughs> Wow. What a story. Yeah. So it was like, if he had asked me that I would create this new job for myself without a resume and I got to still stay at Skywalker Ranch for another three years with my friends, I would have told you you were smoking crack. And one of the things that was hard for me leaving Skywalker is we played volleyball three times a week (laughs) during lunch. Oh my gosh. How fun. Yeah. And so I love I love the people I played volleyball with. It was like our thing. We, we had to like play. That's so cool. I even trained Rick. I was like, I'm going to volleyball. I'll be back in an hour-ish. <laughs> You're oh on gosh. your own. <laughs> you know what I like about your story, RDs, is that you kind of found yourself in these like situations, you know, again, going back, the, back at the beginning, like, you know, working with Star Wars and your friends are like, wait, what? You know, but I think what I like about, just how you, like wherever you ended up and wherever you stayed, you owned it. 
it's like you, you made the most of that situation. I mean, you, you really like brought the best version of yourself, you know, and you brought in that Filipino culture of being very family oriented. And so I just, I love that. I love that in all of this, you just were you, you know, you showed up as you and, and, and the best version of you that you could at that time. Yeah. Well, now fast forward, I, I got to work on Tomorrowland, got to mm-hmm. work with George Clooney, Hugh Laurie, Brett Robertson, Rafi Cassidy, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was amazing. It was a fun time. I ended up living in Vancouver for seven months, mm-hmm. Florida for a month, and then Spain for another month, because that's where we shot, you know, and after Tomorrowland, uh, Brad was going back to Pixar. So they told me he was, you know, going back to his old assistant, which I was mm-hmm. like, you know, at first you, you might be shocked, but actually I went into my office, closed the door and I just started laughing. And then, because I was like, okay, universe, I've been wanting to do my own stuff. This mm-hmm. is now like the shove, like yeah. to go do it. And literally like not even a few minutes later, my friend Audrey Cavanicia, we've always wanted to work together. We had a film we wanted to produce together. She called me. She happened to be in the city. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And she asked me what I was doing. And I was like, I don't suppose you're looking for a producer. And she was like, wait, what's going on? So I told her what happened. And she goes, okay, we need to talk. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm because both of us, our mission was really to do things for women and people of color, right? She was more in the short form video space, right? Mm. But I unknowingly helped her like make that leap because I introduced her to Rick and she realized she wanted to go back into entertainment, right? Mm. After she had, uh, like he was mentoring her for a while too, you know? And so she had moved to LA years ago. We were always in touch so, um, you know, we first started like thinking, okay, let's do this thing called colorful media. Okay. We got hundreds of submissions mm-hmm. of, from people we knew. We did not solicit anything of like, we love what you you guys stand for. Like you really want to push things for women and people of color. And, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I saw in our industry was like, if we are a woman and a woman of color, cause she even said this to me, she goes, the fact that you're a woman and a woman of color, you would have been running one of the studios by this time with everything I knew, right? And she goes, wow. but, you know, I was kept at being like the executive assistant, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be able to be able to mentor people in this industry because they were not mentored the same. Like I would constantly watch men, usually white men, be an assistant for a year, one year. And they would become associate producers and then kind of move up the producer rank so fast, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's super frustrating, especially when a lot of times with oh, when I, what I saw with Disney is having to kind of save certain people's butts, you know, because they were just like, like they would freak out about something. And I would say, like, this would be the producers. I was like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. What does the production need? And then I would go, okay, this is what Brad wants. And I would make it happen. Like I'd find a solution to make it happen. Right. So mm-hmm. he was happy. They were, they got what they wanted, you know, like no need to freak out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now fast forward to now, right. About like in August, 2019, I did a brief stint with tech 
right? Where I was running a health tech startups post-production team, right? Mm -hmm. But it was a lot of like explainer videos and, you know, kind of boring stuff for me. I'm like, this is not what I want to do. So I worked with them for a year and then I was really looking at, okay, what's next? You know, and this whole time your, your family and your parents are being supportive yet trying not to freak out around you because you're not, you don't have a J-O-B, right? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, I want to, if I have to, I'm going to invest in myself because this, I truly believe that things need to change. So my now business partner, Sarita Patel, she was the longtime chief of staff, personal assistant to George. She reached out to me in August, 2019 and said, Hey, what are you doing? And I go, well, I have a few projects. And she's like, well, I want you to meet these young filmmakers because I think they could use your help. And I'm like, sure. They were doing a a documentary series on Aaron Gordon, the basketball star, Mm -hmm. and his mental skills training coach. And it was all about mental health, mental skills training and well-being. And I was like, oh, I love this project, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I came on as producer one of the things I'm really good at is looking at a budget and saying it's wrong. <laughs> like you didn't budget enough. You, like based on everything you're telling me, you know, you didn't account for this. You didn't account for that. I even got Skywalker sound to come on to do the sound. I have a really awesome sound team. I was like, look, I don't have that much money, but this is what I have budget for this series. And they were like, no problem. We'll do it for you. You know? Love so, it. Yeah. And then we were filming him all the way through the NBA all-star game last year. Right. And then the NBA shut down the country because of COVID. Also during that time, I had linked mm-hmm. up with a really good friend of mine who's out in Hong Kong. He started Phoenix TLS with his wife. They do translation localization mm-hmm. for everything. And they were finding that they needed someone in production. So he's like, hey, can you come and be my head of production? And I was like, sure. So Yeah. So I was dealing with stuff in Asia, which I had always wanted to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And Phoenix at the time, well, we still are, we're in 10 cents incubator program. So like, you know, I have connections now with China and Asia. And so I was doing that. And so I knew about COVID because they were shut down in Hong Kong, right. In China before it came here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. If it comes here, it's going to be really bad. And sure enough, it did all live action halted. I was telling all my partners and and people like live action is going to suffer for a while. And really what can keep going is animation. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that can be done remotely. Yeah. And I was thinking that when COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, voice acting is going to be a thing. So everyone start practicing yeah, <laughs> new I opportunities. Just, anything you Raya last night and mm-hmm. The Last Dragon that just dropped yeah. yesterday. And I was listening to the main actress's interview on one of the new shows, like the night before. And she mm-hmm. said they recorded that entire movie from their homes. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's now this big push in animation because they can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some productions have started again, you know, mm-hmm. even I was talking to Rick recently and he was just like, oh, honey, if you're going to do anything live action, just add 600,000 to a million or, or a little over a million just for COVID protocols to your budget. Oh, wow. So that this whole time last year, a group of us were like, okay, the system is not 
cannot work this way anymore, right? Like overall, you know, like it does not make sense for just a few people to have and like everyone else to suffer, right? So that's where Manmana came in. Like Sarita and I were like, no, we're going to do this. Mm. Um, so we've actually trademarked Manmana Studios, a heart-centered entertainment studio. And everyone asks me, what the, what is that? And I go, we bring the heart back into it because that's one of the things that to this day, people tell me that they miss me when I'm at Lucasfilm or miss her because they were like, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we were truly a family back then. And now that they're Disney, it's a little bit more corporate. Yeah. And so, you know, we've been partnering people. Actually, Rick's daughter has a company called Soho Muse. It's like the LinkedIn for creatives. She reached out to me right before the holidays and said, hey, what are you doing? And I told her, you know, I'm starting a studio with Rita. These are the projects we have. They're super diverse. We love everyone that's in our like bucket, right? that's our kind of our barometer. If we don't love the people and we don't love the project, it's not one of the ones we're taking on. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were meeting with her and her advisors and they were like, what do you mean by heart centered? And we're like, we're like the moms, like <laughs> we will nurture the creatives. Right. Cause that's what we've done our whole life. Right. We nurtured the creatives so they could be creative. We handle like all the operations, the logistics, the, you know, the finance, the kind of like things that we love that creatives by default end up having to do, even though they don't really want to do it, you know, it's mm-hmm. and it's craziness, right? Mm-hmm. And even the way we're going about trying to find funding and financing is not your typical. <laughs> it's through our relationships. You know, our black book together is, you know, crazy what's in our, you know, our contacts. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're about to go into JV with Soho Muse. It's like a win-win for all of us. And it's, you know, I love when Consuelo introduces me and Sarita anytime she wants to introduce us to somebody. She's like, Ardiz is family. And she told me herself, she's like, no one could have done for my dad what you did for my dad. And so for her, she's like, she's family. These two women were behind Rick and George they ran the studio. Like if you knew, mm-hmm. I mean, they were the visionaries, but we helped them get the wheels going, you know? Right. Visionary yeah. needs their implementers <laughs> or executors. Yeah. And we wow. saw what worked and what doesn't work, not just in Lucasfilm, but you know, since we left. So we have a great team of women, like they're five core women that are kind of running Manmana. And I love that, you know? It's super diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the people that we're looking at with funding, you know, they get that. That diversity is so important to me, you know, and not your cookie cutter, like how some studios will be like, oh, we have this person, this person, but they like do nothing with the character, right? I'm just like, mm-hmm. mm, that's not diversity. Like, I want the stories to be diverse to the people in front and behind the camera. Yeah. Yeah. You know, very often our community is always screaming for more representation in media. Do you feel hopeful like that we're going to be getting more of it? And more importantly, that I guess you're excited to be part of that change. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. And I keep telling, especially to the Filipinos around here that, you know, we're trying to solve this problem. And also with Asian, the Asian American community, I'm like, 
honestly, our stories are not going to get told unless we can control the funding, mm. unless we have access to the funding. Because really right now, who greenlights projects are typically mostly white men, right? So yeah. until we can do that and find the source of, you know, like people who, whether it's a fund or investors that can see, like, you know, everyone's talking the buzzwords, diversity, inclusion. I was talking about that back in 2012 or even before then, mm-hmm. you know, and even before the Oscars were too white because I saw it in our industry, right? Mm-hmm. I only had male mentors mainly, right? Yeah. Because it was hard to find women. And if even you had women mentors, the moment they felt threatened, it was really kind of toxic. Yeah. Right. And, and that for me, that's sad. Like, yeah. Cause of how competitive it probably it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and even now, like, I'm not, int- I'm like looking for, like, I'm clear with my partners. I want women who are for women, not women who pretend they are for women. Right. You know? Cause you get that a lot in the, you know, so in any industry, so I'm probably going to get flack for that, but I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to our show, the Tifa project, like fundamentally we look for guests who have that collaborative spirit. Even now, as we start to grow, we're going back to past guests to work on stuff together because, you know, they invested in us, they contributed to our project and we want to continue to build upon that relationship. So when someone comes out of nowhere and wants to like, you know, promote something, it's like, like, who are you, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, are you just here? You know, especially when people message me and say, Hey sis. And it's like, I don't know them. Like, I absolutely don't know them. Like, Hey sis, you know, please promote this for us. And I'm like, I don't know you like, don't, don't, you know, like, don't call me sister. So like, I I hear you on that where it's like just the whole kind of like, it's really about like looking out for each other and not just like acting like it, just like what you said and actually being there and investing in each other. And so I just, I really like that spirit that you value in your studio. Well, and I was raised by strong Panais. My mom, they always say like, I don't know if your parents were like this, but like the women in our family were so strong. Like it's crazy how strong their personalities are, <laughs> but they would let the, you know, they would let the dads think that they were in charge, you know, <laughs> but we all knew who was really in charge. Like my Ninang, my Abby's mom, you know, she's been an entrepreneur my whole life. We owned two gas stations in San Francisco. We grew up. One of them is on Mark was on 15th and market before. Mm-hmm. you know, got gentrified, but we had that gas station in our family for over 30 years. Wow. And all of us kids used to work at mm-hmm. the gas station. And we, you know, you get to really like see people in the city and just know everything. So, and now she runs another gas station in San Rafael. And she also runs, she's the only woman of, and a woman of color who has a medallion. So she has a taxi company in the city. Right. So, and then my mom worked for Sanrio for over 30 years. So yes, I have had access to Hello Kitty my whole life. <laughs> Man, I, I love that. that. I think about my family and I wish I could say the same. <laughs> like, I mean, my family kind of 
displayed their strength through action more so than I don't know how to explain it, but in the way that you describe your family, I just, just want to say like how much I admire that. And it, it's a, it says a lot about you and like how you show up today is, you know, where that strength comes from, you know? And I, I think that's, that's really powerful to have had those role models. And even till this day to have that, you know, that family, that community, you know, to be, to be who you are. Mm-hmm. Well, we did a lot of work. I mean, I just had a conversation with my 19 year old and 17 year old niece. All mm-hmm. they've ever known is our family being close, right? And being super affectionate and expressive. And I was like, oh no, we didn't grow up like that. Like- You had to work at it. <laughs> yeah, we had to work at it. Yeah. We did a bunch of courses through Landmark Education. This was in the early 2000s. So that really gave us a language to be able to communicate to each other and be really authentic with each other. Like, And so when people step into our family, they think, oh my God, this is so great. I'm like, no, we worked at this. We really worked at it. You know, I think though, it's like the fact that your family had that willingness to work on it is powerful. Cause I, I think about my own upbringing and my family, we're almost the complete opposite. We would sweep things under the rug. We wouldn't confront our issues. We'd, you know, we wouldn't talk about real issues. We wouldn't talk about feelings, you know, and hence why I do the things I do today, because I wasn't heard, <laughs> you know, growing up. And so now I have like all these outlets to feel heard, you know, and to make up like for those times. But I mean, fortunately my sister's in a place now where she wants to, build relationships with our families or, you know, kind of rekindle those relationships. And I'm all for supporting that. And, but it's going to, I know it's going to be a journey and I appreciate you sharing just the work you did put into it because it doesn't just happen overnight. And I love that you mentioned something like landmark forum where, yeah, that's intense, (laughs) you know, to really go through that and to, and to go through that with your family. I mean, that's powerful. It's really powerful. Well, the thing about our family, I mean, we just, there's so many things before, like literally, because my dad was in the military. There mm-hmm. was no hugging. There was no, I love you. Mm-hmm. There was always like, just kind of do what I say, you know? Yeah. And so even when I went to high school and I have a group of girlfriends, there's nine of us since high school. And some of them I've known since grade school, we go on a trip every year. They're my tribe, right? We're on weekly Zooms now because of COVID. We actually see each other more because of Zoom. Love it. Uh, But we take a trip every year. We've Mm -hmm. been doing that now for several years. And I think that's important to have like that sisterhood. I've had that my whole life, you know? And then with my family, it's just like, yeah, we can tell each other I'm having a shitty day. (laughs) You know, like things aren't perfect. I need help, you know? And before we couldn't do that because I was like, I'm, I'm the oldest granddaughter on both sides. So there was a lot of pressure, right? Mm-hmm. I'm totally type A, you know, straight A's my whole life, you know? So yeah, now it's t- like, we don't even, there's not that. And then before there was a lot of competition among the cousins and the kids and mm-hmm. it's not there anymore. It really isn't. Nani, you come from a big family. I wanted to get your thoughts on, I guess, just your perspective on all this. 
Yeah, no, it just makes me think of you met my my family in the last episode, episode 96. And we talked about we kind of were throwing it back to when my cousin got sent away to boarding school and how that ended up being more of like a collective family therapy experience than, you know, my auntie had originally thought I'm sending my daughter away so you can fix her, you know, and they were like, well, actually, you guys need to fix yourselves, too, not Mm -hmm. just her. And so I think there is something really valuable in that. And there is a lot of unlearning that we have to do, you know, not just individually, but within our families, within our community, within our culture as a whole of like that whole crab mentality thing where it's like we want to compete instead of support each other and uplift each other. And I think that really that's a big part of our mission here at the TIFA project is to encourage and promote that kind of collaboration over competition attitude. And so when I hear that families can work through that, you know, on their own together, I think that's really just so unique and such a special experience that is really just invaluable. And I think that's really as Filipino communities, if we really want to elevate our community and have our voices heard, we need to collaborate. You know, exactly. Yeah. We need to collaborate. And if we do have different resources, we need to share it. We really do. Because no one's going to do it for us. So, I mean, Um, I was just having a conversation with Aaron who found Faster Steam here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And it's all for Filipinos and arts and tech and STEAM, right? And we were talking about that. And she had all these great ideas. And she was talking to me. And she was like, can you come on and be an advisor on the creative stuff? And I'm like, of course. Like, I'm totally here. I'm like, I'm here to give my knowledge. I'm here to share it. A lot of people don't even... I'm not the person to say, hey, like, you know, I've been doing this, but I just do it. Right. (laughs) But now I really see like, yeah, I'm in collective hustle. It's a mentorship program through TFC. And I've been working with them for a few years, like, and at Cal too, like we've always took on mentees and mentors. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm really active in the Filipino alumni association here in Berkeley. And so my big sister, who's four years older than me, she has her oddings, because that's what we call them. And I think there's a community of 40 of us now. Like, you know, we're all connected mm-hmm. and we're all trying to help anyone with whatever field, whatever they need to be in. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of times there's so much emphasis on like having a stable job or, you know, mm-hmm. having a retirement fund where my philosophy has always been like, you need to lead by doing what you love. Yeah. Right. And when you, when you do what you love, people will naturally follow. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's always been my philosophy. And one of the things too, during COVID, I took on an abundant goddess coach who actually ended up work. I used to work with her at Lucasfilm and we both didn't know we were like so ahead of the curve in terms of spirituality and everything back in when we were 20s, because we never talked about it at work. Mm-hmm. And so she has had this program and I was like, okay, I need to take it. And it was to really learn the 12 universal laws. Everyone always focuses on the law of attraction, but there's 11 other laws. And if you use them, you know, and you know them, and she designed it to be like the six month course. And I did it in like three. And she goes, 
okay, you're on a whole other level. I'm going to just straight give you a student here. I'm going to give you a whole other thing. And well, for me, when I was going through and reading all this stuff, I was like, okay, I naturally was doing it. I just didn't know. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I've always felt different. <laughs> hey, hence my like really unique name. But even my girlfriends now who've known me since we were like 13 or younger, they were like, DC, you were talking about this stuff 20 years ago. And I was like, yeah, I was, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's now it's cool to see everyone catching up. <laughs> yeah, about time. <laughs> now that you're all here, Ardiz, one thing that is still kind of sitting on my mind is the strength of our community and that's collaboration, which, you know, sometimes it's not easy to, to see because of the crab mentality, as we were talking about a little earlier, like how it could be competitive and we could be catty. But it's like once we if we can work through that, we can see how powerful it is to collectively succeed. And I know that in American society, it's very much like, you know, how much can you do? How much, how successful can you be? And I think this is what I've, I'm appreciating more and more about our community is it's more like, how can we succeed as opposed to how can I succeed? And it's like, if one of us wins, we all win. And it's all about that empowerment. And, you know, this conversation is just another affirmation as to why I do what I do here. What Nani and I do here at the Tifa Project is just continuing to celebrate our community, that collaborative spirit, that women empowering women spirit. So, so thank you for reminding me that and affirming <laughs> even what I do. <laughs> well, and also too, as a community, we have to stop like recreating the wheel. Like if someone has, <laughs> yeah, yeah. has figured it out, we just need to like work together. Like, yeah, I mean, we're finding this too in like the entertainment industry. I'm like, why am I setting up a fund? You have the fun. I have the projects. Let's just work together. You know what I mean? Right. Let's, right. Right? Let's simplify. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. why are we duplicating each other's efforts mm, when we're yeah. really, like, you know how powerful our community would be if we just came together, like instead of having all these different things going on. I mean, you can have your separate clubs. Fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and let's all work together. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very often when we have guests come on the show and at least in the recent in the recent episodes, they'll say like, Hey, I've been listening to your show and, and I've already reached out to a couple of people on here and we, we already started collaborating and, and we're just like, wow, that's beautiful. You know, like that's so beautiful that we're all like coming together and we're actually reaching out to one another to create good things. And I just want to keep this going. It's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just the whole spirit of, like you said, like how powerful would it be if we actually work together? If we actually, like you said, don't reinvent the wheel, but even partner up and, and, you know, try to see how can we complement each other? Because we all have, you know, a skill set in something and it's even more, you know, they always say like two minds are better than one, you know, well, a whole community is better than two minds. So it's like well, one of the things I'm proud of is I actually brought a lot of Filipinos into Lucasfilm while I was there. You know, nice. Love and they it. would call us the Filipino contingency. Let's <laughs> say <laughs> do it. Yeah. You know, so it was cool. And, you know, just like if people were like, do you have somebody in, especially in production, it mm -hmm. had to be, you had to trust them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I told you my family always wanted us to either be doctors, lawyers, or business people. Mm -hmm. But I can honestly say, because I went into entertainment, right? That yeah. my brother majored in film, my cousin majored in film, my cousin works in LA. There was one point where it was, I was at Lucasfilm, 
Abby was at EA. Oh, she still is at EA. My other cousin, Rob, was at Playboy, then, G, you know, G4, mm-hmm. and then, you know, Blizzard. And now he's at back at G4. And my brother is at Sony PlayStation. So we all kind of went into like entertainment, entertainment. and games. Yeah. Because cool. I, sh- I showed them that we could. Yeah. Right? That just goes to show how powerful representation really is. And even if you just know one person that's doing one thing, you know, you yeah. can take that as a, oh my God, that's so cool. I want to do it. Or I want to explore that. Or maybe there's some other position in that field that I would fit into better instead of trying to force myself to become a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or a, a engineer, mm-hmm. you know? And actually two of my cousins ended up working in production throughout while I was there, you know, there you go. I gave Rob his first internship. And then they, when he had to leave after his first summer, Rick was like, no, why does he have to go? And I go, he has to go to college or my aunt will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so Rick was like, do you have another cousin? And I'm like, actually I do. <laughs> I just love up. how they would come to you. They're like, Hey, like, obviously you're great. You must know other great people. You're like, yeah, actually my family, let me, let me hook you up. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So it, you know, you get to play with the people you want to play with. And that's what I love it about now doing yeah. my own studios. I get to play with the people I want to play with. We just picked our first feature to partner in. Yeah. And that's going to come out soon. So, I mean, we're, it's, I'm blessed. Yeah. To be just working with people <laughs> that I love, you know? Yeah. And, And, you know, most of the time, a lot of the projects I'm getting are people we all used to be at Lucasfilm and we all miss working together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're trying to like work together and help each other. Yeah. I think that's the thing about family is you always kind of find your way back (laughs) to each other. Right. Even even if it's a second family, like at work, it's like, oh, let's just see how else can we hook each other up on future projects. Um, But wow, RDs, I feel like we can listen to your story forever. (laughs) You have so much to share, so much knowledge, so much heart, so much passion. And, you know, just that mentorship uh, spirit. How can people like, what should people do if they want to reach out to you and learn more about you? Like, like, what would that process be like? Who would you want to encourage to reach out to you? I'm pretty open as long mm-hmm. as like, you know, as long as there are people that know someone who knows me or mm-hmm. but you can definitely find me on Twitter or IG under my first and last name. So it's Ardees Rabang, A-R-D-E-E-S-R-A-B-A-N-G. And I'm in Clubhouse too under Ardees. Or you can email me at rdsatme.com. Love it. I'm still uh, warming up to Clubhouse. It's hard for me with all yeah. the social media <laughs> that I'm on. All of my podcaster friends are like, have you heard of Clubhouse? I'm like, of course I've heard of Clubhouse. Like, <laughs> like, I know. I feel like we're not going to be able to avoid it much longer, Jen. <laughs> we're going to have to get on there soon. <laughs> it's just hard for me because when I consume podcasts and even audio anything, I always do it at two times speed. So like if I have to yeah. sit in there live and not seize people, you know, if it's not yeah. video, it's hard for me. I, I can't. Yeah. I just can't do it. <laughs> I, I have to say it is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot going on. I'm not as active. I mean, I joined back in December because an actor, one of my partners was like, hey, do this clubhouse thing. And so all of us joined. That is a part of Madmana, the mm-hmm. five of us women. And, you know, a lot of times I'm just listening. Yeah. I, but it, it, it is a lot. You get so many rooms and. It's a lot. Uh, I think it's just easy to fall down the rabbit hole on there. Oh, yeah, it is. It really is. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, RDs, I want to, I mean, I just feel like this has been such a inspiring uh, conversation and I want to make sure that we finish on again, a, a very positive uh, note. Uh, you have a life lesson that you want to share. And I, I think this is, you know, with our show, we always make it a point to kind of leave a life lesson for our listeners to contemplate on, you know, before the next episode. And so I have here in my notes that, you know, now that you're in your forties, you know, yourself better, what you want, what makes you happy, what matters to you, um, which is a lot different from your twenties. So do you want to tell us about that? Um, yeah, you, you know, I, with my coach, she tells me like, write three things you need to do every day. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing I write every day is dream big, be limitless and be joyful. Mm. And then, then I write whatever two things I need to do that day, you know, but yeah, you know, in your twenties, you think you have to have your life planned, right? I have to be married by this time. I have to, you know, have kids by this time. You think you have your life mapped out and mm. I'm telling people like throw that away. Cause if you know, you don't know what life will give you, right? Yeah. Had I like followed that plan, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't have gone and made a risk, what people saw as a risk, uh, going into the entertainment and staying in the entertainment. Yeah. Right? Kind of, you know, that whole thing of follow your bliss. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, if there's anything I've learned from celebrities or people that I look up to, the common theme I find is that like, you just have to find something you love. Like you said, you have to find your bliss because everything else will come, you know, like the community will come, the income will come. Um, and you know, it's just, I like that. It's, it's very reassuring. Of course, I think just naturally because of, you know, my immigrant parents, I still, you know, 10 years into being self-employed, I still feel like, should I get a job? <laughs> You know, like I, it's still yeah. there. It's still in the back yeah. of my head. My mom just celebrated 30 years in government, like working for government. And I'm just like, that's a stable job she's had for such a long time. Like yeah. I could see why you would stay, you know, why would you, why'd you stay in there? You know, like, I think it's awesome, but it's like, it's just not you. It's yeah. It's, it's just not me. And that's okay. Right. And, and I feel like with every conversation, with every story that gets shared on the show, I'm just reminded like, yeah, it, it's more than okay. It's actually perfect. Like you, you, you don't have to know all the answers. You just have to live your best life. You have to be the best version of yourself that you can and, and do it with others. Yeah. And uh, I think you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a thing too of a, Someday I'll do this. There is no someday, right? It's not on the calendar. Day is <laughs> now. It's, not, yes. it's not on the calendar, right? It's yeah. just, and some people act like it's their practice life. Like, no, it's your life now, right? <laughs> you, you have to live it to the fullest. That's good. Know? I like that. Right? Because, mm -hmm. or what's the point? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think maybe, maybe it's because of that model minority myth where we feel like we need to have all our ducks in a row and hold ourselves a certain way. I feel fortunate that I had to learn like the hard way to just let that go. <laughs> And be like, you know what? I just need to show up unapologetically and see what happens. And it's been great so far. You know, yeah. like Nani and I, yeah. we've been like building this as we go and it's been great. Like we still feel like we're ourselves. Like, you know, Nani's dog will, you know, bark and <laughs> interrupt us. And, you know, my husband will do something. And it's like, it's great because we still feel like we're ourselves and we're still producing and we're still creating a lot of positive impact. And, you know, it just comes to show that you don't have to be perfect 
you know, you just don't have to be perfect. Perfection is a myth. Oh, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. Uh, they said, as is very powerful. Perfection is actually procrastination. If you try to be perfect, you're mm. really just trying to put off stuff. And I was like, oh man, that. so anyway, message to all that perfectionists so out there. Sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, right. I was like, that was mind blowing for me. I was like, man, <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I'm not a perfectionist because like, <laughs> I'm so glad I don't feel that way anymore because yeah, it's like, I would lose out on so much. Like, you know, I think for a lot of people who maybe still feel like, oh, I'm going to wait for things to get back to the new normal. I'm going to, you know, I'm waiting to, for things to get normal again. It's like, this is the normal. This has been the normal for literally a year now. Yeah. I hate to break it to you, but <laughs> right. well, yeah. as, as a recovering per- perfectionist, you know, I think we need to really change our, our view of how we see failure. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember like as a, well, in my twenties, like that fear of failing. Right. Yeah. Which I think why I was all over the place at Cal, like I had a hard time picking my major because I didn't want to commit to something because how about if I failed at it, right? Now, if you you flip it and actually see failure as an opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah. To grow and to learn. That's, like that's oh, a let me fail different. all the time. Yeah, yeah. you'll <laughs> fail on purpose, right? <laughs> it's like, what can I fail at next? Let's go. Right? Yeah, which is how you should look at it. Because yeah. like, how yeah. else are you going to learn? How else are you going to explore? Yeah. I'll, have friends, I'll have friends call me all the time and be like, oh, I just got it laid off. And I'll be like, that's awesome. And they're like, oh my God, I love you. And I was like, what's next for you? Really? Oh, that's beautiful. Right? That's beautiful. What's next? Because that, that mm-hmm. clearly wasn't for you or if you've gone beyond it. Like, yeah. what's, you know, this is your opportunity to find something better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, RDs, you're so inspiring, but I know that all good things have to come to an end. So please let me know, or please let us know. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we go? Should I share about the Filipino thing? Yeah. Oh, yes. I love that. Okay. So Nicole had a series and she asked a bunch of her Pinay friends what it meant to be Filipino, right? And actually, I learned this from her cousin, who's my ex-husband. And actually, we're still really good friends. Um, and he told me that pili, because we use Filipino here, right? The mm-hmm. pili means to choose, and pino means the finest. So literally, Filipino means to choose the finest. Mm, that's right. And I think that's pretty cool about our culture, because you know we're very like mixed, right? Mm. Even in the Philippines and here, like I think we get to choose and be the finest. Yes, oh. we are inevitably the finest. I love that. I remember when you first filled out the form and I read that I had uh, screenshotted it and posted it on my Instagram, just that little quote. And mm-hmm. I got so, so if you were one of the people that DM'd me saying, is that true? Is that really, <laughs> is that really true? Yes. Now you're hearing it straight <laughs> from the horse's mouth. It is true. <laughs> and that is, I can't believe that I've never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. I think he heard it from San Francisco State because he went there too from one of the professors. But like it stuck Very with nice. me. It, yeah, you know, like, I love that de- definition of Filipino. Yes, yeah. that's that's a that's such a strong definition. And I think I think a lot of what I'm finding on the show is is we're rewriting our narrative, you know, for ourselves first and foremost, and that will cause a ripple effect in you know through our loved ones and our professional workplaces and everything. And I'm just here for all of it, and I love it. I'm so glad that you. Should that thank you thank you guys for doing this show i love it i love yeah. it i like tonight is i just love it yeah well uh 
I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) I need a sisterhood. I'm stuck out here. See, there is a language again. (laughs) No, I'm not stuck out here. (laughs) I have a choice to choose the finest. I don't know. I know. But um, no, Ardiz, this is great. I'm just very appreciative and again, affirmed that what we're doing is good and right. And, you know, just thank you again for everything that you've done in the entertainment industry and what you're still continuing to do with your studio. So, you know, best of luck to you or, um, you know, we wish you continued success and joy and abundance and everything. And, and we're just so excited to, you know, now have our, our lives intertwined and to be a part of each other's journeys now. Yeah. Thank you for giving us that like deep kind of inside look into what your experience was like and being put in such a like cool place to be working in and to learn your skill in. And then for you to later take that and manifest it into your own business that you specifically create to uplift and empower and give more opportunity to women of color. I think that's such a beautiful kind of like transformation in, in career and really inspiring. Thank you. Yes. And again, to our listeners, if you want to reach out to Ardiz, she is on Instagram and, and Twitter, Ardiz Rabang, which is A-R-D-E-E-S-R-A-B-A-N-G. Of course, that'll be in the show notes. You're welcome. And also on LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn as well. And of course, yeah, and I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we can find you on LinkedIn. Yeah. You um, can find awesome. my Facebook and I do have a private Instagram because yeah. I, I want to protect the kids in my family. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. We can't, we can't be public about everything in our lives and that's okay. I appreciate that. It creates a mystery about you that makes people like want to reach out to you that much more. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, RDs. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me guys. Yeah. And Nani, thanks for co-hosting as always. Yes. Thank you. And thank you RDs for joining. Yes. And again, to our listeners, we appreciate you. We love you. You know how to reach out to us. We do have a phone number 415-484-8329. And with that said, thanks so much. And we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.